Chronicles, chapter 18 of Revelation. Uh, we'd like to uh, read 19 verses. Hard to believe, uh, it seems like we just started. Does anybody have a date on when we started the book of Revelation? Uh, but it uh, seems uh, like here we are in chapter 18, and I think it feels like we started like a couple of weeks ago. October 27th. Oh, <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Time flies. Uh, verse 1, John writing, he says, After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she has rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. Uh, in the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. And in the measure she glory, glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day and death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning and standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep and horses and chariots and bodies and the bodies of, and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. You shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. And saying, Alas, Alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster and all who travel by ships, sailors, and as many as his trade on the sea stood at a distance. They cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and they cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. That's quite a record, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the grace and mercy of salvation. And Lord, as we read this record, this one day that's going to take place in the future, Lord, whereby the evil system of this world will finally be judged. Lord, we uh, 
as we consider these things. Lord, we, uh, we realize how important it is that we who live presently have opportunity, Lord, to share the good news. Lord, the rescue of salvation. Lord, for there are those, Lord, we believe that we know that we love, that we have befriended, will enter into this terrible time of judgment. But Lord, we pray for their salvation. Lord, sometimes we have taken our salvation for granted. And Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, help us to realize that, Lord, you didn't just, Lord, end with us and our family. Or end with us regarding the people that we know and touch our lives. Lord, you want us to be a conduit. And Father, we pray as we consider these things, uh, Lord, realizing, Lord, what's going to take place in the future, that now, Lord, is a day of grace. It's a great, a day of mercy, Lord, whereby you're reaching out to touch a sick and a dying world. And Father, we pray that not only today in our community, but around this country and around this world, that the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord, the salvation that you offer, the rescue that is so readily available by simply turning to you, Lord, turning from our condition, our situation, and receiving your grace and your goodness, your favor. Lord, we thank you for all that you, Lord, wonderfully do and provide. And Father, we pray this morning as we consider, Lord, uh, Lord, this period, as we've been speaking about this seven-year period now for, for several months, Lord, as we near the very end of it, Lord, when the corrupt systems of this world will finally fall. Lord, help us, we pray. Give us a burden for the lost. Give us a love for the lost. Lord, uh, help us to realize and put in perspective that this life is but a vapor. Lord, it's a, it's a testing period. Lord, sometimes we want to make it heaven, but it's not heaven. Lord, sometimes we want to get so, Lord, nestled and, and focused on this life in this world. Where, Lord, you, you remind us that this world and its desires are passing away. And help us, we pray, to live for you, to live for Christ, to live for your kingdom. And, Lord, to bring others with us. Lord, give us, we pray, that kind of a, that kind of a heart, that kind of a passion. So, Lord, we, we commit this time to you, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, last week, uh, as we finished up chapter 17, what we saw there was the destruction of religious Babylon. We see another component of that today. And it's interesting, too, because uh, as religious Babylon served its purpose, uh, the Antichrist and, uh, and certainly the devil... Uh, using the religious Babylon to bring masses and multitudes of people to him because we know eventually uh, he, re he basically tries to reveal himself that he is the Messiah and that he is God. He has no more time for this aspect um, of this religious Babylon, and so they're destroyed. We saw that last week. But what we come to now in chapter 18 is the downfall of the commercial um, and the political aspect uh, you know, of the kingdom of the Antichrist, and, and, and as the Bible refers to it, you know, this great Babylon. Uh, it's represented in a city as well, um, which we believe to be the headquarters of the Antichrist. Whether it is ancient Babylon, rebuilt, or whether, as we looked at last week, uh, we, I believe that uh, the Holy Spirit reveals through chapter 17 that it's the city of Rome. Um, he tells us, basically, that the, the, the whore, the great whore, uh, the great uh, you know, prostitute, if you will, was sat on that city of seven hills, and very possibly uh, that is the city also to, um, that would be the headquarters of the Antichrist. Uh, we don't know exactly. It's hard uh, to be exact about these things because we get hints here and there, um, but uh, certainly uh, we know that uh, when we talk about Babylon, it represents not just a city. It represents an entire evil, corrupt system 
Um, and when we think about that, it is something that, does, that just doesn't come into being for the last seven years. It's something that has been in operation from the beginning of time. But yet we know that God, through his Holy Spirit, has kept it in check. Uh, and he only allows, you know, uh, you know evil to, to, to break out, you know, as it even accomplishes, you know, his particular, you know, purpose. Now, the Bible teaches us that the world has a very ugly underbelly. And we see that. It's corruption, it's crime, it's greed, it's lies. I, I think America, in some kind of way, has been an attempt to mitigate that. Uh, as we know that our, our nation was founded uh, by those who were fleeing religious persecution. And, uh, you know, the nation has been blessed in tremendous ways. Um, but uh, we're never, no country is ever going to mitigate uh, you know, that evil and corruption that's in our world today. It's in our nation. Maybe it's in our nation a little bit less than maybe some of the other nations in the world. But the fact of the matter is uh, that no one can, no one's going to mitigate that corruption and evil that we see in the world today in a total sense. Only the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he comes, he is going to uh, finally put a stop to the things that we see taking place, you know, in our world. Uh, there's going to be a millennial earth. Uh, Jesus Christ is going to reign and for a thousand years. It's going to be so different. Uh, our perspective um, is going to be so different as we look at the world and what it's going to be. It's not going to be, in a sense, still, still not, it's going to be perfect. Uh, but it's going to be much different than the world has been today. Now, uh, we, we meet this mighty angel. And, of course, uh, the book of Revelation has been filled. This book has been filled with so much angelic intervention, more so than any book uh, in all the Bible. Uh, we, we see that the angels are God's messengers. Uh, you know, they do his handiwork, and we see them. Uh, we've practically seen them every chapter uh, involved in, you know, basically, uh, uh, you know, fulfilling God's will, fulfilling his purpose, uh, and he, as he uses them for intervention. And so we see this mighty angel <clears throat> in these first two verses, basically making an announcement. Uh, and basically that commercial and economic and political Babylon that this old world has fallen. Uh, and, it's, and it's permeated, this corruption has permeated every government, every government to differing degrees throughout history. You know, sometimes we tend to think that, you know, our government is, you know, uh, the very best government. And maybe that's true to a certain degree. But yet, we, it doesn't take us uh, very long to see corruption exposed, you know, within our particular government. Sometimes we see the fall of a dictator in another part of the world. But you can be sure there's also corruption taking place, you know, in our country, in our nation. That's why the Bible says we need to pray. Uh, you know, we don't just pray, you know, when we have, uh, you know, our favorite politician in there, whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been around long enough. Uh, to realize uh, that uh, there's, been some, there's been some decent presidents trying, you know, and, and I think, you know, they try to do their very best, uh, but, uh, off, you know, according to, you know, their own limited capacities and li limited abilities, uh, the way our government is designed, one person, you know, cannot fix it all. And that's why it's important we don't look at uh, political figures in a messianic kind of a way, uh, because they can't. People do. People do that all the time. They look at the government as the great deliverer. They look at, you know, politicians in a messianic kind of a way. But we know different. We know that there's only one, the coming one, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, he's on the throne of the universe. Uh, and pretty soon he's coming to this earth and he's going to be on the throne of this earth. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be a totally different earth than what we see taking place in our world today. So verse 2, this angel cries mightily that Babylon, uh, the greatest falling, and has become the dwelling place of demons. You know, it's a long, it's, it, it was controlled by demons long before it fell. And, you know, the Bible tells us, you know, it's important for you and I, you know, relative to how we, we view the world. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be uh, so, I think, uh, you know, cynical. Or, you know, we have hope, but it's not in the world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Uh, our hope is in what God can do in the hearts and lives of people. Uh, that's the difference, I think, between us and maybe the unbeliever. Um, they're oftentimes hopeful, uh, you know, for some kind of humanistic or political kind of a uh, answer to their problems, some kind of secular answer. Uh, we realize that the answers are not there. Um, 
we realize that the answer is only in our trust in Jesus Christ. That's why we want to pray for people and in, in, in certainly in places of power, that they would come to know the Savior. Uh, that's why I'm so thankful for uh, a man like uh, Mike Pence, you know, a believer. You know, he's there in the Carters of, of, of uh, power, and hopefully that he can make some kind of a uh, difference. You know, it's interesting when you see uh, uh, in the Bible... Uh, at, different, at different times, you know, God shows us Gentile world powers like Egypt and like Babylon. And it's interesting, he has his people there. Uh, he's, you know, he has Joseph in Egypt. He's got Daniel. He's got the, you know, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego you know, in, in Babylon making a difference. Uh, because there isn't, you know, isn't any particular governmental system. There's always been a thread um, again, to more or less a degree of evil and corruption in every, every particular government that has ever existed. And, you know, John tells us this. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, the desire of it. But he or she who does the will of God abides forever. Man, I'll tell you what, you come to realize more and more, um, you know, as, as sometimes you, know, you put your trust in people, you put your trust in political systems and all that kind of thing, and hopefully we get to the point where we realize those things let us down, people let us down. Does anybody that you've ever really trusted really let you down? Um, and, and, and as a result of that, uh, it's brought you to Christ, or it's made you trust in the Lord. You know, sometimes I think we need to let people, uh, people need to let us, or, or to, to let us down uh, so that we're not putting our trust in people or putting our trust in some monetary system. A lot of people today, uh, they've got their trust and, you know, they feel good. Even Christians feel secure because they've got money in the bank. Uh, we, you know, where's our security? Our, our security is in Jesus Christ. It's not in our bank account. And sometimes God has to empty out the bank account. Uh, if that's where we're putting our trust, that's where we're putting our faith. We need to put it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because he controls our personal economy. Whether we believe it or not, he's controlling that. And that's why it is important uh, that we need to be faithful to give back to him. Um, and and just, a, 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 just a small token of gratitude because of all that he's done for us and all that he's given unto us. Now, it says in verse 3, the nations have drunk, drunk uh, the wine of the wrath of fornication. In other words, the nations of the world, they drink the Kool-Aid. They drink the Kool-Aid that Satan offers up. And I think many people today, are, they're just intoxicated. They're intoxicated with the pleasures of, of this life, you know, the music, uh, what, you know, what they drink. Uh, you know, the money, the entertainment. Uh, uh, but you know what? These things are all for a very, very short season. You know, Jesus said, your life is but a vapor. You, we realize how fragile and how short life is. You know, how quickly the years pass by. Uh, and before you know it, we're ready to step out of this life and to step into eternity. And that's why the Bible is always giving us this eternal perspective. It's always reminding us, you know, of the heavenly things. And be careful that you're not so busy, that you're not so wrapped up in enjoying your life. And that's why, you know, when you th look at the world, people are just, they live for entertainment. Entertainment, in a sense, is like one of those things that becomes a drug. Or, or they live for making money. And all these things are, they're, they're of the world, they are passing away. You know, again, as, as one uh, missionary said, I forget his name, uh, Jim, <laughs> Uh, only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And all the other, all the other stuff that people are worried about, um, all the stuff that people possess, you're leaving it. We're leaving it all. It's all going to be gone someday. We're not going to take it with us. And we need to get that perspective you know, early on, the earlier we get that perspective, the, the, the healthier we're going to be in, and we're going to be able to handle crises and situations so much better because it, it, it doesn't depend so much on, you know, my, my particular situation or circumstances. You know, I'm happy, 
you know, when things are going well and when the money's flowing in, but when it ain't flowing in and, and things aren't, you know, have, things aren't, you know, going my way, I'm not happy anymore. I'm, you know, I'm griping and I'm, and I'm, you know, crabby and bitter about circumstances. And that's why it's important. Our perspective is upon Christ. You know, he's, it says, I am the Lord, I change not. You know, it said in Hebrews of Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This world fluctuates. It's constantly fluctuating. You know, I would see sometimes men sitting in McDonald's, older retired men, and looking at the, the paper, uh, checking their investments. Were their investments up? Um, you know, uh, there was one day when, when you, could, you could, you know, and there were certain people years ago when they left Kodak, they, they dumped all their money you know, into Kodak. And, and where's, that, where's that stock today? It, it's practically nowhere at all. It, but that's the way the world is. It just constantly, it's up and down, it fluctuates. And God doesn't want you and I to be in that same kind of a mindset and that same kind of frame where we're just being up and down like a yo-yo because of the circumstances and the situations and the things that are taking place in this world. Now, verse 4, I think, is a very important, it's a key biblical principle. And what I mean by that, we find it throughout the Bible. God spoke it first and foremost in Isaiah 52, 11, when he spoke it to his people Israel. He speaks it again, he reiterates it again, over in chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 15 through 19. And again, every generation God has spoken this very carefully to his people, that be, be, caref, be, be careful that you're not just living. You know, sometimes we relate to the world as Egypt. It's actually more like Babylon. And God is always saying to his people, every age, every generation, come out. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if um, I can turn you there just for a few moments, a few verses we want to look at. Uh, actually, verse 14 he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Very important principle. We, we tell that to anybody uh, that's going to get married in, in the premarital counseling. You want to make sure the, the other person you're marrying, make sure, be absolutely convinced that they are a believer. Because once you, once you hitch your wagon to them, if they're an unbeliever, they're going, to take, they're going to try to take you in another way. Now, I know sometimes we... You know, we get saved and we're married to an unbeliever. Well, you trust God and you let him, you know, work that out. But, but never going into a marital relationship, if you're a believer, should you go into that relationship because maybe you're feeling lonely or desperate or whatever the case may be, very dangerous situation. And, and, and I think there's a whole lot of young people in the church in Christianity that don't really appreciate that and understand that. Don't yoke yourself up with an unbeliever. I think, that's a, I think that's a good principle if you're a businessman and getting in a partnership with an unbeliever. Trouble. I've seen it many, many, many times. And after years of trying to work it out, I've seen people just, well, we've got to split. We've got to go our own ways. Yes, there's, a great, there's a great practical value in knowing the Bible, in knowing God's word. It can save you a lot of time, save you a lot of heartache, and it can also save you a lot of money. The Bible's very practical. Now, just drop down to verse 16 with what agreement has the temple of God with idols? There's, there's no agreement there at all. For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, I'll walk among them, I will be their God, they shall be my people. Now, verse 17, therefore, come out from among them, be ye separate says the Lord, I do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we need to be careful, I think, about what, how deep we get involved in the world, in Babylon. I, I like what he says here because I've come to realize, you know, God's word is always so relevant, every age, right? That doesn't matter. Yes, these things were written 2,000 years ago, but it's amazing how timeless uh, and, and how uh, relevant they are 
in every generation, every culture, all throughout history. And I like what he says here. He says, do not touch what is unclean. And, and it's interesting that in our days, we have, we have so many things that are related to touch technology. My laptop, my phone, and my tablet. I can all operate them with a touch. We need to be careful where we go on that information highway. Jesus said there's a highway that leads to hell. But there's a, there's a, there's a, a simple path that, that leads to the kingdom. Be careful what we're, we're touching, not only with our hands, but with our eyes, with our soul. We need to be very careful what we allow, because, you know, the world's a dirty place. And many of God's children get defiled. And that's, what, that's Satan's great objective. That's great, Satan's great objective to defile the child of God, because when that happens... We're not effective. We're, we're not effective. We're just we're all we're all tangled up. And if he can get us all tangled up in some self-interest and something that uh, is not pleasing to the Lord, he's happy about that. So here we find in Revelation, God speaking it to that generation. Because the church ain't going to be here. He says it once again. He reiterates it once again. That they need to come out from Babylon. He says for her sins have reached to heaven. Uh, and God has remembered her iniquities. Remember, remember, uh, over, remember the initial Babylon in chapter 11. Ch Genesis chapter 11 verse 4. Uh, where basically they, you know, they, they say, come, let us, let, us build a, you know, let us build a city and build a tower that reaches to heaven where we can make a name for ourselves. This is where it's led. This is where it's led. They didn't make a name for themselves. In other words, they wanted, some, they wanted something heavenly, but it wasn't God. Matter of fact, what it was was astrology. <laughs> There's something that it, it's in our spirit. There's, a, there's some kind of a knowledge in our spirit to know that we need to reach out beyond ourselves, but because of what sin has done, that we reach out in the wrong way. And, and uh, I'm for one who grew up in a house where my mother was into the occult. Ouija boards, astrology, all, all those kinds of things. And a lot of people grow up thinking, well, well that's, that's the answer. And even God's people, when they came out of Egypt, that, that was one of, the, one of the philosophies of Egypt, astrology. And that if you remember, the, the calf that they built was Taurus. And they were, they were into, you know, not astronomy, but astrology. Like many people are today, thinking, you know, I need some kind of answers. I need some kind of help. And doesn't Satan, doesn't Satan so cleverly try to deceive people in thinking that when they get into the occult, that somehow you're going to get to know the future? And, and Satan's powerful. When he deceives people in the occult, because sometimes he gives them a little, a little bit of the truth. A little bit of the truth. But there's so much deception there that it becomes destructive. Now he says in verse 6, repay her double to her works. Remember that even when God judges, he's fair. He's fair, he's equitable. He's not going to give her double if, 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 if anybody judgment, double judgment, if they don't deserve it. But, course, but actually, as we look at this here, it's well-deserved. It says in verse 7, they, they lived luxuriously. In other words, selfishly, 
uh, kind of like the rich man. Remember the rich man in Luke chapter 16? And many people, many people in the Western world, in America today, they just live like that. They get, it's just a matter of accumulating wealth. And, and because there's a false security in that. And also there's pride in it, the pride of life, you know, the Bible says. You know, look at me. Look, look how successful I am that, I, that I'm going to write a book so that I can give everybody else life lessons on, <laughs> you know, how to make it in this world. Well, there was a guy in the Bible that uh, Jesus speaks about. Luke chapter 16. It's not a parable. A parable is a story where the people are straw men. Okay? It's an illustration. It's an illustration kind of story, uh, basically to, to, to make a spiritual point. But in this particular story, it's interesting because there's real people. It's a real story. And what's, really, what's interesting about this story in Luke chapter 16, it's about a man who, who's able to communicate after he passes through the portal of this life, and he's in Hades. And I think it's the only account like that in the New Testament. There's only one other account in the Bible, I believe, like that, and that is Samuel over in the Old Testament. There was a certain rich man, it's verse 19 of, of Luke 16, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. So, so who, Lazarus' family or friends, whatever, they were hopeful in putting him by the gate of this rich man that somehow this man would have mercy upon this poor man. But unfortunately, the dogs had more mercy upon him than this rich man did because the dogs came and licked his sores. We're told in verse 21, he desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was when the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So he was able to see what we would call the Old Testament paradise where the righteous dead would go before Christ came and was resurrected and led captivity captive. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. I wonder how many times he had opportunities to be merciful to this poor man. Every time he went out his gate. Probably saw him looked away. Now he's able to see Abraham in that place of blessing. And Abraham said, son, remember in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. You see, in a sense, like this rich man, when you look at the average American in the world today, we're well off. Do you know you have more than this rich man had? Do you know that? He didn't have a thermostat he can control. He didn't have a refrigerator. He didn't have a toilet. He didn't have a car. He, he was rich in his, in his society, in his culture. And as believers, as children of God, we need to be careful. We need to be careful and, and faithful to be generous people because we serve a generous God.
You know, one of the things that we need to always be ready to do with our good things, share. We need to share. It's not our nature. It's the nature of Jesus, though. Besides all this, between you, and, between you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Now, in other words, that place is eternal incarceration. People somehow, unbelievers somehow think, well, you know, we're going to have card games in hell. And no, you're not. No, you're not. Not going to be any, there's, no, no, there's not going to be a game program. And then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Here, here's the thing about a, a person who goes into eternity and even in that place of torment, they have emotions and feelings and aspirations. They're not just some disembodied spirit. People think, uh, uh, you know, people oftentimes think that, that uh, we're just going to be annihilated when we die. No, we're not. Our, our spirit is eternal. And these people have memory. They have emotions. That's why the Bible says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, those, we know the Lord. and what a, what a great privilege and honor that is. But can you imagine the person who has been this close, who heard the gospel multiple times, and just kept putting it off? I think, I think, the, I think there's people in, in lost eternity that they didn't hate the Bible, they didn't hate God. But they just put it off. I'm not ready yet. You know, foolishly thinking that if I have more time, I'll just be able to enjoy my life a little bit more because after all, it's horrible, miserable to come to Christ. <laughs> and we know that that's simply a lie right from the pit. There's no better life that is the life. I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. John chapter 10, verse 10. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, what, what, what Moses is saying, they got the Bible. Oh, if they just had some apparition of somebody coming to them from the dead, some dead relative. no. They won't respond to that either. They have the Bible. They have the truth of the word of God. And that's why, beloved, we need to speak it. Well, it won't be received. It doesn't matter. When we have an opportunity, we don't beat people in the head with the Bible, but when we have opportunity to speak the truth in love and give people an opportunity to, to muse on it, to think about it, to meditate on it, and even when you say sometimes you share a Bible truth, don't tell me that. Often I think the person who reacts the strongest is the person God's really after. And, and it's, and it's impact. The truth is impacting them. Sometimes the person just sweetly smiles and says, oh, that's so very nice. I kind of wonder about that person. I think, I think it's the one who does the, has the inner reaction that, that God has poked them, so to speak. You know, the Bible says that the word of God is like a sword, right? It's got a point. Sometimes the Bible is like a hammer. Some people get, you get hammered on the head. There's always somebody around who's going to do that. I'm not suggesting you do that, okay? But I think sometimes the word sometimes has a way of just sort of knocking somebody, you know, upside their head. 
He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. No, they will not. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And who demonstrates that principle? Jesus. Jesus came into his own. <laughs> you know, laid down his life as a servant, preaching, healing, ministering, raising the dead. And rose himself from the grave. And the interesting thing, too, he came to people that were biblical people. Biblical people. They wouldn't hear it. Now back to our text. Verse 8. Her plagues will come in one day. You know, when, when men, when mankind ignores God's warnings, judgment comes suddenly. It comes so absolutely suddenly. And no longer do these people have an appointment with the Savior. They have an appointment with the judge. I've seen oftentimes, seen it so many times, and so I know it's not a coincidence, that the Bible says the righteous has hope in their death. And I have seen so often, so many times, when somebody was sickly and getting near death, that God gave them time and preparation, an opportunity to say goodbye to their loved ones. I've seen this so many times. So I, I know it's not a coincidence, but it's God's grace and favor to the righteous. But the unrighteous can be taken, judgment can happen so suddenly, so quickly. Now in verse 9, we see the world leaders. Reference basically is to the kings of the earth. We find them in verse 9 weeping. They're wailing. They're lamenting. Could this be repentance? Could it be mourning maybe over those that have died and perished? Multitudes of people perishing. Could it be a recognition of their behavior? No, it's none of these. It's the loss of money and things. It's the loss of stuff. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.10 that the, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. He who loves abundance will not be satisfied with more. I think the Bible wonderfully counsels us about this, this issue of money. It's something that interacts and intersects with our life continually, constantly. Here, even this morning, as we gather to worship, there's a collection. And not that that's wrong, but it just, it's just a reminder of how, how much we're connected to this whole thing of money. The Bible's got so much to say about it. But Paul writes to Timothy this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain. It's a certainty. We'll carry nothing out. We came in the pink, we're leaving in the pink. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Is that true in our lives? That's a tough question, isn't it? I mean, it's a tough one to answer. <laughs> Finding contentment is hmm, quite the challenge. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare, a trap, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition. I've seen believers get drowned it. The anxieties of the world. There's going to be enough. 
Got to keep working more and more and more. Overtime. I've seen you know, well-intended Christian men ignore their children and their families. We're called to a life of faith. We're called to trust God now, not when we have this giant reservoir and pool of money. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we oftentimes hear this misquoted, don't we? Money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. No, it is not. It's the love of it. It's that strong passion and desire. I got to have more. I got to have more. And if I finally have more. I, I, you know, I have seen well-intended brothers and sisters in Christ not go to the mission field where God's called them because they don't have this reservoir of money. Because that's what they teach oftentimes in these seminaries. And if God calls us, we need to go. we got to step in the water, take our step of faith, and then you find God provides. Abraham, the father of the faithful. I mean, God says, launch out. I'm not telling you where you're going. Now, that's not rational. That's not logical. God leads Moses out of Egypt. Here he stands before a body of water. Questioning probably everything he's heard thus far. But no, God's got a plan. God wants to provide a miracle. And sometimes I think God is hindered from doing what he wants to do because we've got to figure it all out. God's always saying, trust me. Look to me, trust me. That's why the Bible says, what's it, uh, Proverbs chapter 3? Lean not to your own under understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge me. And I will direct, I'll direct your steps. Trust in me with all of your heart. And trust is faith and trust, it's a challenge, isn't it? We, we, we want to have it figured out. God doesn't work that way. He wants us to trust him. That's when the miracle comes. That, that's when God operates in a wonderful, supernatural way when he has told us, and that's the key, when he has told us, prompted us, directed us to do something He says, command those that are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Notice, ready to give. Willing to share. That's a test of faith. Test of faith, because oftentimes you look at your pie and say, it's already all doled out. What do you mean? What do you mean, help sister or brother so-and-so? I barely have enough for myself. And remember, Jesus commended the widow who gave the woman without a husband, the woman without any support. She gave of her last two mites. He commended her for it. And I'll bet you also, too, he took care of her. He didn't say she shouldn't give. He didn't say that. He commended her for her giving. 
And all the rich guys there, you know, they were patting themselves on their back because, you know, they probably had a bag of coins. And, they, and, and there were Trump, big giant trumpets outside the temple. And I imagine when they poured them in there, it made a lot of noise. Everybody's going, ooh. And she probably walked up feeling kind of ashamed. All I got is two pennies. And Jesus said she gave more than them all. She gave out of her penury, gave out of her poverty. <laughs> For in one hour, verse 10, he says their judgment had come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn. And now who are these guys? Who are these merchants? They're the international bankers. There are those that have commercial interests, the stock exchanges. It's every businessman. And, and they're mourning because they've lost all their investments. They lost all their stuff. Isn't it wonderful to have Jesus Christ? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he promises for you and me. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. These have no comfort. The Bible says godly sorrow re produces repentance, but the sorrow of the world works death. I believe during this time, people will commit suicide wholesale. I did a little research. Suicide rates, I always knew that they were tied to the Great Depression, but I didn't realize they were always tied to an economic downturn. Suicide rates are always tied you know, an uptick in the suicide rate. It's always tied to what's going on in the economy. On the average, 35,000 people commit suicide every year. The largest percentage and in increase of suicide took place during the Great Depression. 27,000 per year. But you see, we have 35 with over 300 million. That was 27,000 with 130 million. Pretty high increase. The suicide rate in our country jumped 28.4% annually between the years of 1999 and 2010. And remember 99, that was when the market, the, the, the dot-com craze bottomed out. It tanked in 1999. Suicide rate jumped 28 over 28%. Billy Graham said this many years ago. I shared this probably about 10 years at a conference. And I was considering these things. This quote of Billy Graham's came back to me. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. But when character is lost, everything is lost. And you see, that's what we have in Christ. We have his righteousness. And no matter what may be going on in your life right now, you belong to him, and he loves you, and he cares about you. And with all of our imperfections, with all of our setbacks, all of our failures. The Father sees us flawless in Christ. Now we may need, need to make confession here and there to get things dealt with. But when the Father looks down at you and me, he sees his Son. He sees the righteousness that has come into our life because of Jesus Christ. You and I, we look at all the imperfections. And you know the devil's right there, isn't he? To remind us of our past. <laughs> Remember chapter 12? He's the accuser of the brethren. But what, what, did, what does Romans 8 say? You know, who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and rose again? No, it's not him. It's the devil. 
He hasn't forgotten our past, but God has. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He's forgotten our past. And he can do that. We can't even forget our past. <laughs> Sometimes you want to. <laughs> but what I love about the Lord is always a new beginning. Oh, the grace, the goodness, the awesomeness of our God. Now in verses uh, 13, excuse me, 12, 13, and 14, we, we have a list of commodities here and products. But what I want you to note, especially, the human beings. I believe there's more slavery in the world today than there's ever been. You know, look what has taken place in the wake of billions of dollars of drug trafficking. Prostitution, sex trafficking, young girls and boys stolen away from their families, and even babies that are sold on the black market. I met two people that basically uh, were involved in the... Uh, the sex trafficking trade, ministering, trying to help these young girls. These guys get these girls, lie to them, deceive them get, them, get them, get them hooked on some kind of drug, turn them into prostitutes. It's been going on for years, a lot of these, these you know, these, so, and, and you know, with the breakdown of the family, I mean, years ago it used to be you know, some young girl who would, you know, get mad at her family and she'd, take, she'd jump on a bus and head out to some place, other place in the country. And there'd be some con artist waiting at the bus station to help her out. Before you know it, she was, she was hooked, caught up in prostitution. The world's got a very ugly underbelly. And here's part of our problem. We live in a subculture. We live in a subculture. We have healthy families. We're oftentimes surrounded by people that love us and care for us. But you know something, folks? There's a sick and a dying world out there. And you and I, Are missionaries. We're God's people. He wants to use us. You don't necessarily have to go abroad. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in the workplace. It's all around us. I think sometimes God's just simply waiting for us to say, use me, Lord. Use me to reach out and touch somebody that's hurting. Well, your soul longed for has gone from you. The rich, the greedy, they've all been brought to destitution. Be careful when you're tempted by wealth. For Jesus tells us, he says, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 17, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. You know, Jesus spoke about the rich fool storing up, you know, planning for the future. <laughs> the Lord said, little did this man know that his soul was required of him that very night. The Bible is very careful to reveal the folly of riches and wealth. It's false security. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Jesus promises, I'll be with you. We need to be more faithful to Christ than our future plan, our, fut our future financial forecast and, and all of that stuff. And they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what, 
is like this great city. And what this city represents, what Babylon represents, is basically the global, it's, it's, the, it's the, the greed of man and all that goes with that. It's finally going to collapse. It's all going to be brought to nothing. That's all part of our Lord returning. Because the way the world is today is not the way that he created it to be. And we have that perspective as we look at it because why? We're part of the, we're, we're part of the new creation. Yes, we're waiting for him to come. But we too, also, we need to be busy about our father's business. We need to be active. That's why we're saying, hey, witness to an unbeliever every week. Bring somebody to church. Reach out. Be careful that you're not so busy with your life that you don't have time for God's business. Because God's business is eternal business. All this other stuff, a lot of this other stuff that we get so focused on and caught up on, it's trivial. Oh, it needs to be done. But it doesn't need to consume us and so drain us that we don't have time for our Father's business. And what's his business, people? Souls. Father, we praise you, and we thank you, Lord, that in your marvelous plan of redemption and salvation that you made us your business. And sometimes, Lord, I have had thoughts about could not, could not the, the work of redemption have been done some other way? And that answer is no. When you came, Lord, you demonstrated your great love, your great heart. And Lord, that demonstration was by the offering of your life, the giving of your life. That you would go to a cross and you would embody, you would absorb all of our sin. And if that wasn't enough, Lord, you, you thereby gave us your righteousness. Lord, I think that when it comes to digesting and apprehending and comprehending your love. I think it's going to take us eternity. And we want to say thank you. And we want to represent you, Lord. We know many people in this world do not want anything to do with you or the Bible. Because, Lord, there was a day when we felt like that. And yet your grace and your mercy touched our lives, opened our hearts. And, Lord, we too want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of planting a seed, watering someone's life with truth, And perhaps even harvesting, Lord, leading them to you. Go with us, I pray, Father. Sometimes, Lord, we're so bugged at the world, we're, we're, sometimes we're angry at them. And, and Lord, we live in our little, our little cloistered life. 
Lord, create those opportunities, we pray. Lord, lead us. We don't want our entire life to be just marked by survival. Lord, that's the world. Survival of the fittest. Lord, you said you'll take care of us. So give us, we pray, Father. Lord, give us your heart of love. You're kind. You're gracious. And yet, Lord, we know this day of, of recompense. It will come. We thank you, Lord, for your word says you don't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. For you're always saying, come to me and live. So, Father, I pray as we go about our, our lives, that our business, Lord, would be prioritized, Lord, with your business. I ask you to bless. Bless your church. Lord, may we have such a wonderful sense of your presence and love and joy in our lives that, Lord, our lives would be magnetic. It would draw people to ask us, what is this? Why are you so, so happy, so content? that, Lord, we'll be able to just wonderfully tell them what a great and what an awesome, what a fantastic God you are. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for saving us. Go with us, I pray now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen.